So welcome everyone to Fire and Water, the podcast, uh, where we think of this as uh, a way to come of age in this age, where we seek to cultivate more wise leaders, one show at a time or one gathering at a time. We are your hosts, Quinita Robertson and Tennyson Wolf. And uh, today we have a special friend and guest with us, David O'Fallon, who's joining us at our invitation to uh, join the journey that is thinking out loud and feeling out loud about what it means to be wise in these times uh, through our stories and through our successes and failures and experiences, the whole range of things this way. So a particular uh, extra welcome to you, David. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, welcome, David. Thank you, Quinita. Thank you, Tennyson. I look forward to the conversation with both of you. And to explore everything you just talked about, Tennyson. Yeah, beautiful. And Quinita, maybe do you want to share a little bit of the relationship that you feel we have with David, and then we can invite him to do some of the same, and we'll we'll throw a few questions into the middle here. Sounds great. Um, for me, one of the ways that I see David, I love the the name that you've coined, kind of Tennyson, as our operational elder. <laughs> He's traveled with us a bit and had kind of held space for us to navigate what we're called to do and to figure out how to do that in wise and soulful ways ourselves. And um, I just find David, um, you know, he does some holding of space, not for only for us together, but us individually. And I just have been so, um, I guess, excited and um and just loving the way that he's held us. Um, I think it's been really important at times where we can't see past us <laughs> to have a elder to show up for us to help guide us. You know, I believe in eldering, not only us eldering others, but others eldering us. So thank you, David. Yeah, well, I got to chime in just a little on that too, David, because this was reaching out to you. I don't know when it was now a year ago, or maybe a year plus ago. And with some deliberateness in the way that uh, Quinita, mm -hmm. you described we do Quinita, you and I do a lot of deep holding of spaces and, and um, it was really you Quinita that said we, we need someone to hold us or we need other people to hold us also. So David, we reached out to you. And since then, I think I've grown some real heartfelt uh, uh, connection through the through the you know the excitements the grumbles the mysteries it's all there but i i want to add my extra heart into there to say being held by someone mm -hmm. uh, just to help guide a little bit boy big big important thing and learning that i've i've found too uh, with that said, maybe David, mm -hmm. uh, welcome your voice in and maybe you can start with a little of um, your relationship with mm -hmm. us and a little of who you are in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Tennyson and, and Quanita. And, uh, you know, my heart back to both of you. When we first began to talk with each other, I said that I'm at a place in my life where I get to choose a few things that I really want to do. And that's also shaped by the fact that I think we're going through a truly extraordinary moment in time in the nation. So my respect for both of you has grown as well because I see two people taking on some extremely important work that does mean you hold other people and, and, and yet you're both just human and here we are. 
And we're all trying to figure out exactly how to be our best selves at this moment in time in this world. And there's no map for what we're trying to do. So one of the things I've enjoyed uh, listening to you both and talking with you has been the sense of a kind of a creating what you create for each of yourselves individually and what you're creating together. And then to be very pragmatic, the programs that you are creating and the way that you are serving as uh, you know, guides and mentors to others. So this is really important work. And uh, I'm happy to be uh, in, in it with you in the sense of being an elder and a conversation partner and a holder of that space uh, as, as for me, and I think you know this, but I can say it, you can use it in the podcast or not, but I've held senior positions in Washington at the National Endowment for the Arts at the John F. Kennedy Center with some major foundations, uh, three different state agencies in Minnesota. Uh, I started the theater, which lasted about 50 years that might be failing now. We're in a kind of a crisis. And I've literally consulted, uh, literally in every one of the 50 states, and that's not airport touchdowns, that's real work, mm. uh, plus half a dozen nations abroad, Ireland and England and Germany and Scotland and so forth and so on. So, and yet I'm at this moment really able to just choose mm. where to put whatever I can bring to this moment in time and to both of you and to a few others and a few other organizations. So I don't want to get too carried away with it, but I do think that this is an extraordinary time. I really do. Yeah. So why us? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit of a mystery to me, Quanita, but you know, you guys, you know, we were introduced by a mutual friend, Barbara, mm. and we had an in initial conversation and I wasn't, I wasn't sure what in the world elderly meant. Mm -hmm. no? uh, I've never been a prototype before Tennyson, and I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll withdraw that. <laughs> I've been, Just welcoming the human that you're called called a bunch of things. But I, <laughs> but I must well. say that one of the things that struck me in our first conversation, I think, and I think I mentioned this, you know, bluntly to you, I said, I can't do any work that doesn't involve spirit. Yeah that whole dimension and that just holds me together. And I think it's a thread that holds uh, the three of us together. Mm. So this is not about mm. uh, management expertise. Mm. The work you're doing is not about organizational efficiency or operational details. We need to do these things and we need to do them and we need to do them well. And that's all, that's just true. But I've been uh, with you and sticking with you because when I hear the both of you talk, it's about helping people take themselves into another depth of work. And there is no map exactly for how to do that, but you can provide a space and an invitation and examples and then yourselves. Mm -hmm. And I am glad and I am heartened uh, to be with you as a fellow pilgrim on that journey. So that's you. Beautiful. I'll, I'll be blunt. There's other people that I don't work with. Yeah. I, you know, I have a shorthand that I've used a few times, which is I am not interested 
and projects or consultancies that simply say, we want to make the existing system work a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. If we tighten this screw or move that lever or change that dial, things can be a little bit better. Sometimes a person needs to do that, but if that's the only thing they're interested in doing, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the things that I love about you, David, is there's a story under the story. I often use those words, but you, you seem to live that. And I appreciate the way that you are, mm -hmm. you yourself are living into your own, your own journey and your journey with others that mm -hmm. calls out sort of this deeper spirit and deeper humanness with one another. Juanita, for you and I, we, somewhere along the way, probably in the time that we've been meeting with David, we kind of settled on a couple of words that were real anchor things for us, creating wise and more wise and soulful leadership. And so those represent a couple of important energies in what you and I uh, try to offer and create into the world. And I hear that in what you're describing now, David. Um, when we focus on wisdom, it's one of the reasons that we wanted to invite you into a, this conversation podcast style recorded today. Mm -hmm. to uh, just get even a little bit of some of your story in which you feel, or an example of part of your story, in which you feel you've learned and gained more wisdom. And mm -hmm. uh, all of that is going to point to what feels like, you know, what's some of the wisdom that you feel is called for today in the world, in the times in which we live. But if you have a story or an example to share, or, uh, you know, a, a, a periodically attended to memory for yourself of what was sure. that some of your wisdom has come from that you have learned and gained. Yeah, thank you, uh, Kenneth. And, and, you know, it's a bit of a challenge because, you know, we, we've all of us have been through a lot. And uh, yet, thinking a little bit about this. And before this, I, I've come up with a couple of markers. One was... Uh, really early as a young person just a couple of years out of college i got invited back to teach at the benedictine college that i had graduated from can, hey david could, sorry yeah. to interrupt. can we pause for a minute did your fan come back on no there's some I got background no. background noise going again i know i can hear it but it's not thank here you. thank you hmm. <laughs> So that question of what is wisdom has, it come, has come up to me several times. Mm -hmm. And I will share a story from a very early part of my life when I was a young person teaching at a Benedictine college. And uh, Sister Kate Howard shared a definition of wisdom that has, in fact, stuck with me and probably evolved a little bit. But we were having a conversation about wisdom. And one of the things is, you know, by the way, the Benedictines have survived as a community for 1,100 years. Mm. So I think it's useful to pay attention to a community for all its flaws, and they do not deny any of them, especially the women Benedictines, to be blunt. A community that has survived for over 1,000 years has something that I need to pay attention to and learn from. That's mm. just... So Kate Howard said at one time that her definition of wisdom was knowledge plus experience plus compassion. And I really like that. Knowledge plus experience plus compassion. 
because this saves us from simply being intellectuals who can define things and talk about things and say things. But without compassion, what are we? You know, uh, and again, with respect to the experiences that both of you have had and that you have led as well, and many that I have had, uh, and I think especially in the last five, eight years, I've been in too many meetings where people are willing to define a problem, mm. but not honestly know what to do with that. And I think in part that's because compassion compels us into action. If you have actual compassion, I can't sit on my hands anymore. And whatever it is I can do, whatever piece of the garden I am hoeing, I need to do that. So that combination has, you know, and I, we can talk about what wisdom means in a hundred different ways. And Krista Tippett's got a whole book out on becoming wise. And there's many, many other places. But anyhow, at least in my working world, that's one I've held on to. And with great respect for the community that, that brought it up. David, one of the things that I love about that is um, you put knowledge plus experience plus compassion. And, you know, in a time, one of the things I've noticed is that experience piece. You know, we have a lot of young people who come and they bring a lot of knowledge and compassion, I think. Um, and there's something that that we can only get with experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's something about the eldering that I've seen younger people step into kind of eldering. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's too fast mm -hmm. because the experience isn't there. And there's like, you know, again, I think there's only some things that you can only know from years on this earth plane. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I love is the compassion piece. I've once heard compassion described as communal passion. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this passion for the community, which I just mm -hmm. think is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, Quanina, I want to go with that in the context as well of working with you and Tennyson and in everything, everything that I'm doing in, in my other venues. And I think one of the things that's maybe turning up for us right now is a deeper sense of how much we need each other. You know, we can go on about, you know, the rise in depression and anxiety and the uh, savage individualism in some ways in this culture and so forth that has kept many people isolated. But my hope is, and I don't know, I don't have a prediction, but my hope is that coming out of the pandemic, and I guess we're still struggling to figure out where we are in that whole process, but a lot of people discovered that they needed relationships in, in ways that mattered more uh, there were some recent stories, you probably saw them about, you know, people are reluctant to go back to working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week and the commutes and the tension and all that goes with that because it kept them from their loving partner or their family or just friends and so forth. So, but my bottom line is, you know, to work our way through this, whatever this is exactly, we need each other more than ever. So how do we find and hold each other? Let me uh, throw one more piece into that too. It comes from a conversation, Quinita, that you and I have had a few times, but uh, we, we touched a little earlier in a different context today. So when I hear the compassion part of that, uh, I think one of the key learnings that I'm seeing is people having some compassion for themselves. Mm 
mm-hmm. and the kindness for themselves. So that might be part of what you're describing, mm-hmm. David, when, when we interrupt the 70 hour work week and say, well, wait a minute, my kid's ball game matters to me. And I don't want to feel guilty about that or like I'm hiding it or something. Yeah. There's something I, I see this in a number of the groups, Quinita, that you and I are working with where people are somewhere in that wrestle. Mm-hmm. And often that there's a big aha that says, wait a minute, I could, I could experiment with being kind to myself here or mm-hmm. lift up more of that value. I'd be mm-hmm. curious just how you're seeing that too, David, in the, the wisdom path, let's say. Well, Tennyson, I think that's an extremely important observation, and I certainly see it in many, many, many places as well right now. And I think you make a really good point. People are struggling with that Mm -hmm. because people need to make enough money to support their families. They need to get along. They need to have a job. And I think the systems, this is another big topic, by the way, that we can touch on, but the systems that were created that got us into the, the tensions and the fractures that we feel right now are not really built yet to support that person who wants to live a fully compassionate life, meaning kind to themselves and respectful of the work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I want both. Mm -hmm. I want people who care about the work that needs to be done. And I want them to take care of themselves. And I want to have organizations that support both. And I think we can. And I think some are being modeled right now, and I think examples are being worked out, but I don't think it's clear yet. And again, we're working with systems that were created, you know, decades or many, many decades ago with certain expectations, so it's really hard. Uh, As some of you know, and I think it's important on the podcast to know that I live in Minneapolis, which has had a lot of uh, tension for various issues and still is. And I think this is replicated in other cities, but Target World Headquarters is here in Minneapolis, and they had announced, I don't know, a month or two ago that they were going to bring their 10,000 people back down to downtown Minneapolis. They just said, no, we're actually not going to do that. We're Mm -hmm. going to hold off. And mostly that was due to the Delta variant surge. Mm -hmm. But it also reflects a reality that they've also talked about, which is, you know what? The company's making a lot of money we're doing fine. And, uh, you know, a a lot of our people are working from home and not commuting and parking and grabbing a bit of lunch as they walk through a skyway. And yet the company is thriving. Mm -hmm. So what does this say about the balance that we might be able to create going forward? And again, Tennyson, to your point, uh, the capacity to take care of yourself and get really good work done. Mm-hmm. I think I think one of the things that I would add to that conversation and maybe have you speak a bit on is that that story I think works in a lot of places, but it tends to be disproportionate for people who make a higher income and who, you know, have have the privilege to be at home. You know, um, there's some jobs where you can't and then also you know, for the schools that aren't in person and stuff like that, people who have childcare and have to tend to children. Um, I think there's a bunch of um, kind of, I see a struggling in our culture about how to handle the disparities between um, people, um, especially like in Ohio where I live, the uh, 
governor had has rejected some of the unemployment money, the extra unemployment money, trying to get people to go back to work. Well, that usually affects more, of course, people with lower income who are on unemployment. And so um, I guess I just wanted to add that into this conversation. Oh, Juanita, I think that's spot on. And I think it's another example of how the systems that we created in many ways simply aren't, and I, you know, I could get totally carried away with this, but I don't think they're actually able to adapt fast enough to create the world that we need to create. So we need to be courageously imagining what needs to be done and then do the work and support the people along the way. And schools are a huge part of this. I've worked a lot on education and education reform. And the education model that we have right now is still the one that was designed for an agricultural calendar. And it's an industrial model of education. It's having a hard time adapting. Yeah. And that's just a fact. And then you add to that the dimension of you know, governors who are prohibiting superintendents and principals from trying to do safety protocols in their own school in ways that would keep uh, staff safer and kids safer. Uh, that's a, a troubling reality. And then your other point, I think, is just extremely important. And again, I, you know, um, I'm not quite sure how we're going to work through this, but there are people who cannot work from home and who must go to work every day and who must go to work every day, even when the temperature hits 105 degrees in Phoenix, they go to work. So, yeah. I also would add just one more layer on this because I think it's the, you know, even people who can stay home, Like we had so many families that were home and with their children and the expectation that usually fell um, fell on women Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. school their children, help school their children and work a full-time job from home and tend to their own personal lives. And so even figuring out, you know, Mm -hmm. just even being able to stay home isn't necessarily um, the simple answer either. And so I like what you were talking about, about being willing to be imaginative in some of the solutions that we come up with and what do you know what do those look like for us yeah well i think that's yeah and i i think that there's a couple of things in here that i'll just share personally that are very moving to me which is uh, and i think this is reflected in the work that you guys do as well i want to help individuals navigate wherever they are, wherever they are. And I work a lot in the arts and cultural community and there's a lot of people there living on not much. I've had people who have really supported their own small theaters because they worked delivering uh, catering events, for example, and you guys know this, there are many, many, many who hold two or three jobs to support whatever. So, I think we've got, you know, two or three major challenges in front of us. What can I do to help an individual navigate where she is right now? What is actually practically supportive and helpful and useful? Secondly, what is the context that she's working in? Is there anything that can be done about that, whether it's a classroom or a school system or a nonprofit or a division of a bigger company or corporation? Is there something in the context that we can help and take small steps small adjustments over time can have a big impact. 
And then thirdly, I want to work with people, uh, and this is happening to some degree, who are in fact looking at what I think are the transformational changes that we need that to be blunt, I probably will not live to see through to fruition. So be it. But if we're not courageously imagining the capacity to change it, then they won't change. So all of those dimensions are important to me. The very individual in her context, in her situation, what in fact is practical and helpful. And that's, that's for me is like basic, that's the unit, you know, the unit of change is, well, I can go on about that. But anyhow, I, I, need, I need to be also on that level as well. Something that Tennyson and I've been talking about a couple times lately is um, I've been telling him I'm learning and listening for like an eldering. I think there's mm. a difference in eldering from the masculine than from the feminine. Mm. And I'm just interested in your thoughts around that. And also Tennyson, your experience, I mean, in being eldered um, by David, and I guess I could speak a little bit too, as being a woman being eldered by David, um, yeah. but I'm curious about that. Yeah, I was just going to read, I noticed the the extra nuance of that, Quinita, because there's the mm -hmm. there's the eldering to the masculine and yes. eldering to the feminine also, yes. that mm -hmm. aren't just male and female bodies also, yes. right? Yes, right. definitely. Yeah. All right, David, say some magic in that, will you? <laughs> well, I would say it's honest just to reflect that I, I totally own and accept my reality of body and age and culture. So I am a man. I am 78. I am white, which I don't like so much since somebody said to me, who were you before you were white? And I went, oh, I love that. Go back into the deeper roots. And I'm straight. And all of those things are just current realities. And I bring them all to who I am and take that forward. And the fact is that I think uh, when I look at my own history and process over time, uh, it's never been for me about having to be what the culture now would define as, you know, patriarchal toxic masculinity that you need to overpower, uh, overshadow overtake and dominate others. So I think there's always been a dimension and I will own this for myself as well, that has sometimes made me uncomfortable in some certain masculine circles of being open to the intuitive, the magical, the feminine, the personal at a deeper level, if you will, uh, in terms of relationships and uh, even in conversations, you know, sometimes. So I think that those, uh, and I, I will say in the context of being a pilgrim on this earth, passing through this right now, it is a continual learning and openness to discover all the dimensions of one's self and be genuinely alert to them. And you're never, never, never 100% there. But I also wanna start again with the strength uh, of just owning who I am right now and accepting it and standing in the strength of it without denying any of the other uh, more troubling dimensions of being an older white male in this culture at this time. I think one of the things for me, David, I've had a lot of um, elders that have been women um, mm -hmm. and 
of course, carry masculine and feminine in them. Um, I think this is the first time that I really feel eldered by a man. And mm. part of what I think in a time, you spoke a little bit about the toxic masculinity, but I think that, you know, what we're all kind of making peace with right now is our relationship with the masculine. Mm-hmm. And there's a way in which um, I think I know how to be eldered. So I know how to surrender to eldering that allows um, a holding that I think the masculine brings, healthy masculine. You know, so often I hear us talk about like the womb space as being the container, but I actually think it's the opposite. I think the the container is the masculine. It's the holding, it's the framework. Mm. And I think what swirls within is the feminine. Mm. It's like the embodiment of it is the feminine. It's kind of how I've experienced, I think, masculine and feminine. And I think one of the things that Tennyson and I actually, I think, do pretty well in our work is that we pass the masculine and feminine back and forth. Like I'll hold the masculine framework as he gets to dive in and embody and do his work, or he'll hold the masculine framework as I get to dive into the feminine in my work, you know? And um, it's a it's a flow of that going back and forth. And I think what I experience with you and eldering is um, there is there is a stronger masculine than I've had with the women who have eldered me. There's a stronger holding and container that I feel, or um, uh, I, I don't I don't know if boundary is a good word, or or um, um, I'll just say mm-hmm. holding. And um, at the same time. I do experience your feminine. You're like your softness and and your holding, and not that soft that masculine can't have a softness to it, um, but I, because I think that's a different thing too. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been really wonderful to because I think it helps me get clearer on my healthy masculine. Mm-hmm. Put that in the center. Boy, that's a lot in the center. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'll, I'll put a little into uh, something in what you're saying, David, around the integration. Uh, I, I, there's, there's, there's a point at which these good words that we're speaking kind of fail to me. Like, I feel like I'm all of a sudden put myself into some odd corners of this is this and that is that. There's something about just the integration and I think it's, it's one of the things that I've appreciated with you. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, like I'm speaking as a man, I'm speaking as a white man, I'm speaking as a white straight man, straight man who's 20 years younger than you version, or at least measured by that system. And uh, I, I, I feel like there, there's something in me that instinctively appreciates, for lack of better words, some of that integration. Because I I don't wanna show up apologetic for my masculine, nor for my feminine. No. And there are times when, you know, my, what would traditionally be called masculine in a sort of crisper something something way is just right. And there are times when my intuitive, you know, this is just living into the mystery uh, and 
and there's an image coming to me that that kind of stuff that's traditionally associated with the feminine that's right on also i know i and i know for me i've had more women guiding me in my life than men and to come back to the male mm -hmm. figure uh that that holds both of those mm -hmm. something about that feels important well i think there's strength in every dimension that we're talking about mm. and you know, to, to, to just connect with the things that you both just said in a way. Uh, and I think we are in a place where we're not quite sure that we have the vocabulary or the words and the concepts for some of the transition that is underway, the transformation that is underway. You know, you were saying, Juanita, you're not sure whether boundaries is exactly the right word or whatever. You know, this appreciation that we each have for the others, both masculine and feminine and the transformation that is underway. And I think this is within each of us, but I also think this is a larger cultural huge shift that's underway that I think many, many, many people are having a hard time just finding their own base, navigating this uh, as we go through this. And to use my three dimensions in a way, you know, the very personal, the individual who's struggling to figure this out, the context in which he or she might be operating, and then the bigger systems that influence us all in one way or another. And we're trying to work at all these dimensions at the same time. So how do we hold each other as we walk through this? That's why I like calling myself a pilgrim. And I think it's important to be able to say, as we just said to each other, we're not sure that we have exactly the vocabulary or the capacity to articulate what we are building, experiencing and creating right now. And we're committed to the transformation and the creation. This could be inaccurate, but I think I got from uh, David White that I've hiked with in Ireland, but pay attention to a lot right now. I think he said something, this is pretty close along the lines that the, there was a sort of creative patriarchal energy that was really expansive for a long time. It was basically creative patriarchal energy that created capitalism in a way that's burned out, mm. it's burned out. It's become a destructive force. And so we could be, we hope we are in many ways entering the age in which the feminine voice, if you will, and you guys know how many people are talking about voice right now, whether it's individually or collectively. But right now we need the feminine voice more than ever. And I, I, I think we can risk you know, falling into stereotypes, you know, the feminine is all about collaboration and connection and nurturing and so forth. And yeah, mm -hmm, but not exclusively in men too. So it's complicated, but I do think there's a direction we need to go and calling forward the feminine voice, the feminine spirit right now is I think essential. And I liked what David said that the patriarchal creative age is burned out and has become in fact destructive. Again, I'm speaking in stereotypes and broad generalities, but I think there's a kernel of truth in it. At least it resonates with me right now. I think, you know, and we, we're doing Fire and Water Rites of Passage program. And one yep. of the things that I'm learning more and more about and that I came into this work really um, believing, I guess, is that men can initiate women 
into our adulthood and women can't initiate men. You say can or can't? Cannot. Cannot, yeah. Because we can't take somebody someplace we haven't been. And I don't know what it's like. I can take you so far, but I can't take you across the finish line because I don't know what it's like to be a man. Um, that piece and the piece around if we have toxic masculinity, it can't be present without toxic fe femininity too. And so often we hear about the toxic masculinity, but we don't speak about the other. And to just um, being aware of that. Yeah. Boy, go ahead. You got something there? Yeah, well, Cornelia, I think you touch on something that's really important because I think one of the things that I've certainly seen, and I'm seeing it here locally uh, in Minneapolis with many organizations that are trying to figure out, you can romanticize mm. and stereotype the other. All women are caring. All women are nurturing. All women are this and that. All men are this and that, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, here in Minnesota, we have uh, eight sovereign nations, indigenous nations. And I've been in, I spent a lot of time at the state capitol working with the legislature in one way or another. And I've been in hearings where people would just go on and on about, oh, the indigenous wisdom of those who understand the roots and the berries and the comings and goings of the, and, and I was sitting next to a woman who said, I'm Ojibwe, I grew up in Edina. I don't know a damn berry from another berry, you know? <laughs> So this stereotyping, romanticizing of the other, I think, keeps people from appreciating their own roots and strengths and capacity and laying it off on somebody else. In which there is wisdom, like there's a wisdom message there that says, where do you find your deeper wisdom? It you, definitely you can collect things from the external yeah. But somewhere along the way here, it has to go deeply internal. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. That's what I liked about Tish Jones, a spoken word artist, looking me in the eye and saying, who were you before you were white? Yeah. Which drove me back to my, you know, Celtic roots in many ways, which had always been alive for me, but I took them into another dimension of search and exploration and so forth. And even back to the families that settled in, Minnesota, I think I've shared with you, I was able to actually walk on my father's farm and I saw the remnants of the log cabin mm. that they built when they first settled there in about 1855. And no one said to them at that point, do you know you're living on Dakota land? They were just trying to make a life. So again, the absences, what they did not know, what they do know, and all of this is alive within us still right now, and it's work that I need to do. I can't lay it off on somebody else. So to your sense of wisdom, I think each of us is responsible for a personal sense of struggle and exploration and shaping ourselves in the context of this time, this moment. This is the age that we're in. Um, we're going to do something incredibly tricky and challenging and arguably unfair right now <laughs> in the spirit of time that we have, yeah. because we're in a story, we're in a sharing, we're in a, yeah. like, let's slap a few paints on the wall, make a big canvas picture. Mm. And we're going to pull, I'm going to pull it back a little bit. I think, think it's right timing for this Quinita uh, to say the intent is to cultivate, grow, 
nourish, lots of different words in there, wisdom, uh, wise and kind ways of being. Mm-hmm. And so here, the three of us have, and maybe this is the invitation for each of us by way of uh, moving towards our close of this call and this recording, with all of this picture that we're painting and exchanging with one another, is there, mm-hmm. from the big picture, is there, you know, if there were one thing that you wanted people to remember and practice slash do, could be a principle, it could be a step in the name of more wise, kind living, what would that be? And David, maybe you can speak. And Quinita, I think you and I could each just offer it a, our best mm-hmm. at a tidbit, you know? Sounds good. Well, wow, that's quite a challenge, Tennyson, you know, wow. given the, the richness and the context of where we are. But I think a couple things are really important. And again, I'll just speak from, you know, my person and my heart to each of you. I think it's incredibly important that we really do the self-examination of our own roots, our own history, uh, our own sense of uh, being and purpose, and in whatever way that calls to you, but do that work. Don't lay it off on somebody else. You know, and somebody who says, I've got seven steps for this and six reasons for that, and we can learn from all of those things. None of that, however, will take unless each of us does our own work. And I think that could actually in practice mean taking a small step every single day. Finding something to read, speaking with a person, uh, connecting in a new way, take a step every day, just a small step. And I think that's a practice that we can each hold to. Whatever your individual practice might be, but I think it actually means not just thinking I need to do it, but a practice of some kind. Yeah. You want to go, Kunita? <laughs> yeah, I'll go. Um, for me, it's the knowledge plus plus experience plus compassion is the elder. Mm-hmm. And or and and the reason I like this knowledge makes me think of not it's not just what you know, but it's mm-hmm. also the not knowing. It's the being being willing to surrender to learning more, that continuous learning piece, that hungry, that curiosity, mm-hmm. I think is what it speaks to for me. And the next is experience. The experience piece, my grandfather used to say, you're not grown till you hit 40. You know, <laughs> and there's something about like, just time on this earth that gives you something. Yeah. You know, that, that um, and not to say there's not wisdom when you're younger, but to me in the eldering, there's an experience, there's a life lived kind of feeling some in it. And then the compassion. Um, you know, I always think of elders that the communal passion that the elders are able to hold the whole and to lean into what's good for the collective, mm. not just for self. Mm-hmm. And so I love those three things around knowledge, experience, and compassion. Oof. Um. Yeah, you, you won't be able to see it, but I'm scratching my head here trying to find the simplicity. Um, I think there's a couple layers for me from today. Uh, one is, yeah, in, in I think in what you were just saying, Quinita, I am learning that it turns out, lo and behold, there are some things that I know now that I don't think I could know when I was 30 or 40 or some younger version, even though I'd like to think I was a pretty smart, wise person, right? But there's some things you can't know 
nope. without some, you know, whatever it is, life experience. There's some of yeah. that. And when I try to look for a pattern, like the, the big, I'm going to, I'm going to do the big pattern and then the step, the big pattern. One of the big patterns to me is it is like, oh gosh, de developing the ability or willingness or maybe courage to interrupt the default narratives. You know, I've lived with a lot of default narratives of what should mm -hmm. and shouldn't be and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out there's a few more choices. That's yeah. part of the wisdom I feel that you don't just learn in your head, but you kind of grow in your body. Uh, a relationship to more than binary or a relationship yeah. to multiplicity. Yeah. Now, when I, I, I am the kind of person that needs to pull all that down and say, okay, and what do, what do I do? One of the what, of, what do I do's is I find that the, the simple everyday step of breath really makes a difference. I don't come from a particular meditation school or anything like that, but like even five minutes of stillness to just breathe. Sometimes I think of it as emptying and probably behind all of that is just to feel what is that seems to make a difference. So, and even if, even if you don't know, you know, all of that kind of stuff, just the experiment of five minutes a day for, you know, a week, might be a, a, a helpful presence building thing to be able to sit in all of these big stories that we're telling or sharing or, you know, unraveling a little bit today. That's what I would say. Last word, David, if you got anything you want to share and then maybe we can prompt it out here, Quinita. What do you think? Okay. That's good. Can I leave you with a piece of poetry? Oh, please. That I keep close to my heart. And uh, it's a fragment from uh, a play that was produced right after World War II. The play mm -hmm. is called The Sleep of Prisoners. I think I've shared this with you two before, but I just keep it close to me. So here's the fragment. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. That thunder is the thunder of the flow, the thaw, the upstart spring. The frozen misery of centuries breaks, cracks, and begins to move. The frozen misery of centuries breaks, cracks, begins to move. Thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to meet us everywhere, never to leave us until we have taken the longest stride of soul we have ever taken the longest stride of soul we have ever taken. That's the journey, and I'm glad to be on it with you too. Thank you, David. Yeah, with a touch of the heart, we're both touching our hearts. Yes. We're all touching our hearts here. Yes, especially because I wanted to ask for a poem, but I didn't think it was fair because I didn't get the heads up. So well, there we go. You got thank it. Thank you. Hey, we'll say in a general way, thank you, David, uh, with heartfelt uh, love and appreciation for who you are in the world and who we get to experience and journey with in so many ways here. Um, it, it's a real yeah. blessing to be with both of you. Thank you. Everybody. Thank you, David. And for those listening, we appreciate your listening. We appreciate your uh, joining into the journey, your support. Um, 
your practices, your commitments of wisdom and your commitments of more soulful coming of age. Uh, for further information for us, as many of you know, we have a fireandwaterleadership.weebly.com website where many of our, our fire and water program is described and welcomed and invited. Quinita's got a website, nazuzu.com. I've got a website, tennisandwolf.com. Thanks for being with today. Thank you, David. Thank you.